Welcome to our podcast series, Talking with Traders, hosted by expert trader Garth McKenzie in London, from where he's interviewing various guests on the topic of trading. Welcome back to another season of Talking with Traders with me, Garth McKenzie. This is the sixth season of the podcast, and we're into our third year since the podcast began in 2020. Once again, IG have come on board as sponsor and agreed to fund this podcast for another season. We really are privileged to have such a global leader in CFDs trading as our podcast sponsor. Over the coming weeks, I'll be interviewing various guests from around the globe to bring you their market insights. I'll be digging in to find out what makes them tick, how they see the markets in the year ahead, and what techniques they will use to succeed in the markets. Some of the guests will be returning guests from previous seasons, and some will be new guests that I've managed to convince to join me to give up their time and share their insights. As we enter 2023, there's as much uncertainty as ever around where the markets may be headed in the next 12 months. We've just come off a horrid year for investors in 2022, where a typical 60-40 portfolio delivered its worst annual return in several decades. But what of 2023? Will the US lead the world into a global recession, or will the central banks manage to achieve a soft landing for the global economy? Will inflation come under control as base effects kick in and supply bottlenecks open up? Will US earnings hold up in the face of a weak economy, or will they disappoint? Will we see continued weakness in the US dollar? I'll be asking these and many other questions to my guests in the coming weeks. The idea behind these podcasts is for you to get a variety of views from a broad spectrum of market professionals. None of this is intended to be seen as financial advice, but it is intended to get you thinking and to weigh up what possible paths the market may follow in the year ahead. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast in your favorite podcast app. That way you'll be notified of upcoming episodes as they get released. Once again, thanks to IG for sponsoring this podcast for a third consecutive year. Thanks for joining me, and please enjoy Season 6 of Talking With Traders. Welcome back to another episode of Talking With Traders, and we've got another new guest on the lineup this week. I'm delighted to have him on the on the show because I've been trying to get him on for a little while and someone whose work I follow very closely. His name is JC Peretz from All Star Charts, uh, very well known in the Twitter, Twitter sphere and uh Generally speaking, if you if you're sort of a, an eager follower of markets, I'm sure you've come across JC's work somewhere. Uh, JC, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on. Thank you. Appreciate that intro. Happy to be here. Yeah, good to have you, man. So, as I do with every new guest that we get on the podcast, can you just give us a little bit of a background into yourself, JC? Um, what what got you into the markets in the beginning? What sort of path has your career followed to get your, yourself to where you are now? Yeah, I mean, I, I I guess it all comes back to following your heart and and doing doing what you like to do, um, and and trying to put yourself in positions to not have to do the things you don't like to do, right? And then in order to get you there, you got to do things you don't want to do, right? So it's this revolving <laughs> cycle that I found myself in over many years. Uh, for the ultimate end game to be able to, you know, spend as much time as possible uh, analyzing the behavior of markets, implementing strategies into the market in real time, uh, trying to extract cash 
from the markets as opposed to the donations that so many investors like to give. I, I like to be on the receiving side of that <laughs> equation. And we have found ourselves there quite a bit using a variety of different strategies over many years. And it doesn't happen overnight. I've been at this for 20 years. Um, you know, I guess I was always interested in in, in math and uh, in markets and in entrepreneurship and, and sort of uh, as a market participant, you're kind of a combination of a lot of those things. So it always just resonated with me. You know, I was always interested in sports and like I would gamble, you know, like in college and stuff like that. We bet on football or whatever. And, you know, the 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 math always made much more sense uh, in favor of the investor in the equities market versus a gambler on a, the Super Bowl or whatever. Yeah. 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 You know, so I, I don't play the lottery. I, I go to Vegas all the time. I don't play. I mean, maybe every now and then I put 100 bucks and play some blackjack for fun because everybody else is doing it too but like i'm not a gambler i'm, I'm there yeah. to go to dinners to party to go to shows like that's why i'm in vegas not to spend all day at the poker table like i'm not there for that um <laughs> my wife wouldn't probably leave me or or not go to las vegas with me if, if i spend all day at the poker table so we yeah. have a good time there yeah uh, but you know that's just for example you know i like the the mathematics uh in the market because you can manipulate the opportunities where you are the house yes you are putting the odds in your favor right. and if you do that consistently you're going to make a lot of money over time just like the casino yeah they know the math they there's a reason why they're giving you free drinks and tickets <laughs> to the show and you know putting you in the executive suite or whatever because they want you gambling because they know the more you gamble the more higher probability ultimately they're going to win and they're going to make a lot of money they have yeah Good yeah. mathematicians on their side, and uh, <laughs> we can manipulate it in the exact same way in the market. And it's very attractive. Yeah. Okay. I love the way you put that. But now <clears throat> you you say that you 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 like to be on the receiving end of the of the of the profit and loss, right? Yeah. Um, fair enough. But we know as as traders, it's it's not an easy business. This majority no. of the people who try trading. And when I say the majority, like the vast majority, like 95% odd lose money trading. Um, maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration. I mean, when I look at the CFD providers, they all have to publish the percentage of clients that lose money. Okay, it's usually around about 75 to 80% is what they publish. But it's not to say that the other 25% are making a killing. There's a very small percentage of the market that's actually making a good living and, and decent money out of it. A lot of people are just, you know, one step forward, one step back. And as we say, like three quarters or maybe a bit more even are actually on the losing side of that equation. So what do you do that's different? What that what puts you in the minority of people that is on the correct side of that equation where you're the guy collecting the cash instead of feeding cash into the machine? Sure. So it's I, I, it's a combination of things. First of all, it's, you know, on a more tactical basis, being in the direction of the underlying trend, mm. asset prices trend. We know that market returns are not random. Yeah, we have the data. We know there are plenty of white papers. We know. Or you could just use common sense and just go look at the charts. You see, they go up for a while. They go down for a while. Mm -hmm. They go sideways. for a while. Asset prices trend. We yeah. know. Volatility mean reverts. We also know that volatility does not trend. High volatility tends to fall. Low volatility tends to rise. Volatility mean reverts. Asset prices trend. Volatility mean reverts. Mm -hmm. Just knowing that alone, right, and not forgetting, just as importantly, right, is that asset prices trend. Volatility mean reverts. So if you are consistently with those 
major, major factors at your back, you are going to be more successful at the end as opposed to the people who are constantly battling against those strong uh, factors, right? So, mm -hmm. the, the, so that's number one. Number two, I think a lot of it comes down to position sizing as well. Yes. You know, having a diversified portfolio. And by diversified, I don't mean, oh, I own small caps. I own large caps. I own an international ETF. I own, you know, you own a bunch of stocks. So you're not diversified, bro. Yeah. You know, you go up and down with the market. But diversification, actual different strategies with close to zero correlation between the two um, really, really helps a lot, uh, a lot, because you're, you're it really helps with position sizing because it doesn't allow you to kind of be overexposed. And the more exposure you have, the more crazy your brain gets. But the less exposed you are, the more disciplined you can be to the rules of that strategy. If it's not yeah. systematic or whatever it might be, yes. um, you know, I, I so I think it's a combination of of those two things. It's it's real diversification and it's, uh, you know, understanding the way markets behave, asset prices trend, volatility mean reverts. Yeah, cool. <clears throat> I, I follow your daily emails a lot. Um, I get, I think, two or three emails a day from you, which uh, which are always interesting to read, various different things. Um, but a point you make regularly is that it's the stock market is a market of stocks. And now, I mean, that's it sounds obvious, right? But the reality is, I think a lot of people don't view it that way. They kind of look at the high level. So they look at the Dow Jones Industrial Index, or they look at the S&P 500 or the FTSE 100 or the DAX or whatever. Oh. Look at these indices, right? And they don't scratch below the surface and then they say, well, uh, you know, uh, it, it's it's a bear market or it's a bull market. But you've been quite uh, vociferous lately in saying that this is a bull market and that the market bottomed in October last year. We're in a new bull market. Um, but that you need to be scratching below the surface to find where those bullish opportunities are. You can't just look at the high level and look at the S&P 500 and say, well, that's a bull market. Um, it's a market of stocks. So with that in mind, can you take us a little bit through the process that you go through to look for opportunities each week? Yeah. You know, the first thing that we want to do is identify what type of market environment we're in, right? And then decide which tools and strategies are best for that market as opposed to just having one strategy and we're going to force that strategy upon the market, no matter what, like, I don't know who in their right mind would want to do that. Like maybe if you're unaware of the way the market works, that might make sense or something, but that's just not how the market works. There's different environments. And in order to weigh and decide what type of market environment we're in, you need to weigh all the evidence. You need to look at all the data. And if you're just looking at an index, you're not getting all the data. You're getting what that index level is. You need to understand what's inside of those indexes when you go to the doctor and you don't feel well he's not going to look at you and he's going to be like oh must be your liver <laughs> how does he know he has to go inside you and see what's going on same thing yeah. with the auto mechanic you drop off your car it's like oh it's a blue car it doesn't move it must be the transmission yeah right <laughs> you need to open the hood and see what's going on to see what's wrong with the car or if the car is perfectly fine and it's going to keep on moving or if you just have you know uh, uh, you know, you have whatever you have. It's not a big deal. Take these pills. Call me in the morning. You'll be fine. Or, oh man, you're in trouble, right? Yeah. You need to go inside <laughs> and see what's wrong with your body. It's no different in the market. Um, I think it's a combination of laziness. A lot of people don't want to do the work, but I think more than that, it's just a lack of awareness. 
They don't understand that it's a market of stocks. They, you know, it sounds they forget. So you talk about how I, I think that the market bottomed in October. I've actually been saying that I think the market bottomed in June. Mm -hmm. You know, by the time early October came around, we had already been saying the market had bottomed. The S&P 500 and Dow and NASDAQ made a slight new low for like a day or two or something like that and then rallied. But by the time that those indexes made those lows, there were no stocks left making new lows. There were like yeah. a few tech stocks that were still going down, but everything else had bottomed last June. And some had bottomed in May and Chinese internet bottomed in April. So the majority of the market had already bottomed, right? So just because a couple of large cap indexes that are filled with laggards were still making new lows, what does that have to do with leaders and material stocks and uh, industrials making new all-time highs? Mm. Why is the fact that these growth stocks that are still getting hit that are dragging down the S&P 500 and, and the NASDAQ, what does that have to do with deer breaking out to an all-time high or caterpillar? What does yeah. that have to do with the other? So yeah. If you're talking about the stock market, I think it's important to understand that it is a market of stocks and the new 52-week lows list peaked on June the 16th. By the time October came around, there were no stocks still making new lows, very, very few. Uh, so it was an improvement in the market in the same way that people think that the stock market peaked at the end of 2021 the reality is it peaked in February of 2021. Yeah. That's when the advanced decline line peaked. That's when the new 52-week highs list peaked. That's when all the growth stocks, anything ARK and Kathy Wood, Chinese internet, biotechnology, everybody had a SPAC. Remember all that? Yeah. That was February <laughs> of 2021. By the time the S&P and the Dow, they because some of those large cap indexes kept making new highs mm. because those large mega caps were so, almost like a safe haven. Yeah. They were like a flight to safety while everything else was getting clobbered, uh, by yeah. the time the indexes made their all-time highs, there were no stocks left making new highs. In fact, there are more stocks making new highs now than there were when the S&P 500 was making its all-time highs. There were there are <laughs> way more stocks making new highs today. Yeah, it's fascinating. And it's exactly as you say, it's the weightings because you've got the big heavyweights, the Apples, the Microsoft, the Googles, the Amazons, mm -hmm. and that these things that make up such a heavy weighting in the index, they're all lagging. But there's a lot of stocks below the surface that are all you know, doing pretty well, as you've said. So, yeah, it's a market of stocks. Now, I, I'm pretty sure it was you who said this in a blog at some point, and I, I, it's always stuck with me. You said that once a week, I think it was once a week, you go through your entire watch list of stocks, which is a very vast watch list, I understand. And you look at all of them with, you look at the charts just with the price on, no indicators. No moving averages, no stochastic oscillators or RSIs or MACDs or any of that. Nothing. Just the price. Is that right? I mean, people ask me all the time. They're like, oh, do you see what is the most important indicator? Yeah. Price. Price. So that's that's what interested me, right? I mean, I, I go through a similar sort of an exercise each week. I don't always take all the indicators off that. But I, I was very interested in that because it really like takes away all of the noise, doesn't it? So press play. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, what does that process look like? Cause you said it, I mean, if I remember it correctly, you said you go through like hundreds of stocks um, yep. and, and, and thousands, thousands. So, so, I mean, that's a lot of things to look through each week. It must take you a lot of time. Do you do that exercise manually or do you do it? Do you have some well, sort have of a, a filtering? Team, I have a team of 30 people okay. uh, that works for us um, okay. and even more now, but we have a big team. So, you know, by the time that it gets on my desk, you know, there's a lot of data that's been built. Like if I just sat there and had to build all these charts, it would take me forever. Yeah. But I'll get a deck with 300 charts. And, I, it, you know, 
I'll get halfway through my coffee and I already banged out three, 300 charts. I'm way ahead of the game already, you know, mm -hmm. and it's not just stocks. It's all the commodity futures, you know, from oil and natural gas and gold and silver to cocoa and orange juice and cardamom futures. You know, all of the currency, not all of the currency crosses, but let's just call it the top 100 currency crosses. Um, I'm looking at um, a lot of interest rate and bond charts, a lot of intermarket relationships between stocks and bonds and commodities and everything of that nature. Um, not to mention how many stocks there are in the Russell 3000. Uh, there are 3000 stocks and there are 500 stocks in the S&P 500. And we have different scans where we are building lists of universes of stocks, like, for example, the Young Aristocrats. These are companies that have raised their dividends every year for between five and nine consecutive years, which is that sweet spot where, in our opinion, they've really proven that they're doing something right. They keep raising their dividends every year, but they're not doing it for 25 years yeah. where you're a little late into the party. Yeah. You know, we've got, you know, the, the minor leaguers report, which is, you know, a, a universe of small cap stocks between one and four billion in market cap that are approaching new 52 week highs. You know, we have, uh, the under the hood report, which is looking for, you know, stocks showing an unusual interest in investor interest using social media and things of that nature and volume. You know, there's a lot of different ways that we incorporate a bottoms up approach in addition to that top down macro uh, perspective. When, when they line up, like, for example, uh, the two to 100 club, these are the stocks that we think could be the next $100 billion company, right? Nice. We call it the 100 club because you have to be at least 2 billion to enter the category so between two and 30 billion is the sweet spot that we look for to right. find the next hundred billion dollar company right okay. that's sort of the, the universe that we look for and right. it's only like growth type sectors and industry groups that can actually scale so you're mm -hmm. not going to find a utility stock or right. a staple stock in the two to 100 club you're going to find cloud computing solar you know yeah. right stocks right, that can actually get to a hundred billion dollars yeah um so anyway so small caps have been outperforming this entire bull market on a relative basis, they actually bottomed in May of last year. When you talk about how the S&P and the Dow made new lows in October, small caps did not, right? Small caps yeah. had bottomed well before that. And they were right. like, small caps are stocks too, right? Yeah. People yeah. are like, oh, they're very racist when it comes to like market capitalization. <laughs> it's like, you know, we got those over there. Um, so anyway, small caps have been outperforming. And then the 2 to 100 club, we dropped it this morning. And I'm looking through the list and I'm like, man, some of the best names are small caps, Right. Because the two to 100 club doesn't necessarily need to be small caps. You have large caps and mid caps and everything in between. But the ones right. that are standing out are small caps. So it's like, all right, from a macro standpoint, small caps are outperforming. Why are small caps outperforming? Small caps, the Russell 2000 has half the exposure to technology as the S&P 500. It also has twice the exposure to industrials as yeah. the S&P 500. Right. right. So there's an exposure difference there as well, which is part of the reason the Dow's been such an outperformer, because it's only 16% tech versus 50% in the NASDAQ versus 25% in the S&P 500. So that's why the Dow is outperforming. Dow has a lot more exposure to energy and industrials and other things that the NASDAQ doesn't have, for example. And it's another reason, in my opinion, that small caps are outperforming. And you're seeing it in the two to 100 club, a bunch of small caps, you know, really standing out. So it, it makes sense when our macro top down approach matches up with some of the bottom up scans, you know, in some instances where we're looking for industrials and materials and the types of sectors that do well in a rising rate environment. That's another thing. First, identify what market environment we're in. In, in when rates are falling, growth stocks do very well. Tech stocks do very well. And people are like, oh, JC, why aren't tech stocks doing better? Because interest rates are going up. Tech stocks shouldn't be doing well. 
yeah. value stocks should be doing well. Industrials, materials, financials. And guess which are the ones that are doing the best? Those, <laughs> as they should be in rising rate environments. And I don't know if you noticed, but rates have been going up. Yeah. So these are the stocks that should do well. Tech should be underperforming. Growth stocks should be underperforming in the same way that for a decade, growth stocks were the leaders because interest rates were getting slaughtered. And then yeah. what are you seeing around the world? The U.S. is the worst place to be invested. You want to be in Europe and in other areas around the world. And why is that working now? Why is the United Kingdom making all-time highs? Why is France making all-time highs? Denmark making all-time highs. Why? They don't have any tech exposure. Hmm. The United Kingdom has 0% tech. It's like 0. Point something. It's less yeah. than 1% yeah. tech exposure. Yeah. It's making yeah. all-time highs. But guess what? It didn't make all-time highs for 20 years because it didn't <laughs> have any growth. Yeah. And now that it doesn't have any growth, now it's making new all-time highs and the United States is struggling because it's got too much growth. Yeah. Makes so much sense. And what you said about the FTSE 100, I think that, that catches a lot of people by surprise because you're right. I mean, the, that market peaked, I think it was like 20 years ago. I remember it was yeah. very early on in my career. And I think you and I have been in the business a similar amount of time. Um, it was like around 2000 or thereabouts that it peaked and it yeah. didn't didn't get back to that high until now it's been like a forgotten market but it is as you say it's got a lot of old you know value type plays in there i guess and right. and, and i've seen a lot of research to and suggest an environment that the, where that's what's working yeah uk is going to do great and yeah. it is doing great <laughs> it is doing great yeah <laughs> yeah now let's talk a little bit about risk and position sizing you, you did touch on it a few moments ago but you touched on it more in the context of looking at diversification and splitting up your, your investments amongst a, a basket of things but um and I, and I guess i want to just question this in the right framework when you look at the markets i mean are you a, a trader in the sense that you are holding things for a couple of days to a couple of months, or are you more sort of trying to play the bigger cycles where you may be holding something for potentially years at a time? Yeah, uh, a, few, and, a few things. Right. And and what I want to ask about that is, is about risk and position sizing, because of course, one of the the critical things about being on the, the right side of that equation that you alluded to at the beginning of the conversation, whether you're the guy receiving money in the market as opposed to someone who's donating money to the market all the time. Um, one of the, the key things, I think, is, is your position sizing and your ability to manage your risk and to know when you're wrong and get out with a small loss. So what does that look like in your world and in your style of trading? So I think it's a combination of things. Number one, the position sizing within the actual portfolio that you're describing, as well as the strategies in your overall approach to the market. So for example, I own real estate. I would say maybe 15% of my, uh, my uh, assets are in real estate and I don't have any debt on that real estate. Is I that, is that physical real estate? Physical real estate, right? right. So I own that free and clear. Nobody's touching it. I pay some taxes on it. My family lives in it. I'm good. My family's good. Uh, my kids' uh, college is fully maxed out for five years. I can't contribute any more to my children's college, right? Yeah. I could write off what I've already provided for five years because of whatever tax, you know, I could front load it to start the compounding, whatever. Right. So kids are taken care of college-wise. There's nothing more that I can do. The house is fully paid. There's nothing more than I can do. We have another piece of the portfolio. Let's call it another 15% of the portfolio. That's that, uh, the same value as the real estate that is 
always long the market, right? Okay. So it's a strategy that does the tax loss harvesting right through Canvas. You know Canvas? Yep, yep, yep. Right? So, I mean, I was able to harvest like $160,000 last year in an account that was flat, Okay, which is insane, you know? So long only. And I know that that's there. So I never have that FOMO of not being in the market. You know, okay. I'm always long. And then I have other portfolios that I that I could trade against that. I could be short. You know, God forbid I can take that to cash if I really want to. But I really don't ever want to take that to cash. In a perfect world, I stay long. I mean, one day, chances are I'm probably going to go to cash. It's not right now. It's fully invested. Right. Um, um, and it has been uh, since since the last summer. Um, so uh, or since last spring, really. Um, then I've got uh, private investments as well that I've invested in things that I can't touch. So I have I'm invested in hedge funds. So I have uh, invested in uh, private companies, right? Um, I'm also an entrepreneur and, yeah. you know, own my own companies. I own a winery in Napa Valley. I own, yes. you know, publishing companies. So like I have my own thing. So I have all of these things already in place that I know are there that take care of a lot of the things. And then I have a longer term portfolio that I could own something for months. You know, like I own... Uh, 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 meta calls that expire in June. I own uh, John Deere calls that expire in June. Those are longer term investing, you know, longer term, you know, from a, a trader's perspective, that is very long term. And, you know, I'm not like, they're not like lottery tickets that are going out there. Like those are real positions in the yeah. options market, but that don't expire until June. So to me, that's that intermediate term uh, investing. And I have stocks in that uh, as well. And then I have a day trading account where it's strictly for day trading. I'm in cash every, I have an alarm that goes off at 356. It's clear your margin, clear your margin. It goes off every day at 356, <laughs> four minutes before the market closes, just to remind me if I need to. So most of the time I'm already out anyway, but yeah. just in case. Yeah. So I don't violate any, you know, whatever the Fed calls, because that has happened. And if it happens three times, they like shut me down for 30 days. They put me in the penalty box or whatever. Uh, so I don't want that to happen. So I have to follow those rules. So anyway. I have my day trading account that I can only do so much in. I have my longer term account. I have my NFT collection or I have a crypto punk and I've got other projects that I like. And, you know, I don't plan on doing that anytime soon. And I do stuff in crypto and I'm working with different DeFi protocols and I'm loaning out ETH, you know, backed by different NFTs. And I'm, you know, not so much because I think those are the best investments or the best use of my capital, but more so I've been doing things like that for a long time, learning these different DeFi protocols and understanding the value that they bring and sort of participating in these markets uh, to, for, 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 to learn more so I can make other business decisions and decisions with my investing because I'm invest like, for example, I'm an investor in an NFT hedge fund. Yeah. I've got quite a bit of money in that. Um, and all it does is invest in NFTs. And that is because I do think it's valuable. I do believe in the fund manager. I also get to learn a lot. I get to read the investor letters, sort of gets me sort of in that circle. So there's different investments that I'm doing for different reasons, but they all represent a percentage of the overall portfolio that I have the ability to be maybe more aggressive with or whatever it is because of the safety that I have in some of the other things that I'm already doing, right? right? Mm. So if I lose out on a trade today, like my, my own natural gas, it's down today, that sucks, but fine. Cause I got all this other stuff going on. I'm long the overall market. Dow's up 300 points right now. So, okay. My natural gas is down a little bit. Yeah. It, it comes within the context of, I've got a ton of money long the market. Dow's up 
I'm fine. You know, my my John Deere and my Meta calls are doing well today, for example. Um, my real estate probably hasn't changed value since yesterday. Yeah, yeah. You know, right? So, you know, I have all these different things going on where it's not just position sizing in my day trading portfolio, which has its own restrictions because I can only have so much leverage. So mm -hmm. it forces me to position size according to what capital requirements I have in that account. So it's like built-in position sizing, yeah. Um, yeah. right? So you've got all these different things going on. It really helps from a mental standpoint. And that's what it is at the end of the day. It's not me versus you. It's not me versus the market. It's me versus me. Yeah. You know, I'm playing golf here against myself. I'm not mm -hmm. trying to beat anybody. I don't really care, Garth, respectfully to you. I don't care if you're up $10 million today or if you're completely wiped out. I mean, I prefer that you're not wiped out and that you didn't make ten million dollars, but I, I can't worry about what you're doing, right? I got to worry yeah. about what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. Okay, but now, let, let, let's just uh, let's worry a little bit about what others are doing just for the moment. I want to ask you a question here. Um, not everybody's got the setup that you've got, right, with real estate and investments in hedge funds and businesses and entrepreneurs, various things. Um, you know, some people come at the market and they've maybe they've got a hundred thousand dollars and they've also got a little bit of debt and they're kind of working a job and trying to make ends meet. Um, and they come along and they think, well, I'm going to trade that $100,000 and I'm going to try and trade it in maybe in futures or in CFDs. I don't know. Do you do CFDs in the US much or is it more stock futures that you guys trade there? Well, we don't trade stock futures. We have, I mean, we have in stock index futures. I personally right. don't trade futures. I have. I okay. just don't. Uh, I don't need that in my life okay. right now. Okay. So um, do you, so, so you're saying you don't, you don't really take leverage then? With what you did, I you take leverage in equities, it's particularly in the day trading account, right? Like at one and okay. also in the um, in the uh, in the in the regular account, I have margin requirements okay. like any other brokerage account, right? Um, and then in options, it's inherent yeah, leverage, that's right? leverage, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Okay, but I mean, to go, so to go back to the question, right? So, someone comes along, got a hundred thousand dollars, wants to start trading, thinks they're going to try and you know supplement their income trading the market. Um, and I presume you deal with these kind of guys in your business, uh, right? I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm imagining you do deal with these types of people yeah, yeah, as of clients, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what do you say to those guys when it comes to risk? What do they, what, what should they be willing to lose on, a, on one position? Position size accordingly. Yeah. You know, but position what, size responsibly. You might not position size the same as me, but put yourself in a position where you're not going to blow yourself up. You have different strategies. So for example, it's not, has nothing to do with real estate or being an entrepreneur. I have a portfolio. All it does is sell strangles. That's it. Yeah. Every okay. day we have a, it's a very simple strategy. It's a list of the 30 most liquid ETFs, SPY, EEM, XLE, you know, XBI, right? The most liquid ETF, GDX, like, you know, mm -hmm. them all, TLT, yep. right? The most sure. liquid EFA, the most liquid ETFs. Every morning we sort by highest implied volatility relative to itself over time. Yeah. Very simple. In other words, the one paying the most juice, yep. right? Yep. And we sell a strangle. We sell an out of the money call. We sell an out of the money put and we collect that cash. And as soon as we are able to buy that back for half of what we collected, we cover the trade. And if at any time the price of the ETF closes at above the call strike or below the put strike, we unwind the trade. That's it. Every single day. And it, it's not going to change my life in terms of returns. It's not going to be 100% return, but 6, 8, 10, 12% returns consistently without major drawdowns, just kind of steady Eddie like yeah. that. Yeah, That's a huge value add to my portfolio 
that allows me to maybe be a little bit more aggressive in a different strategy that I have right. where I'm trading Tesla, right? Um, so it's not just like you stop losses, know where you're getting out before you're getting in. It's also putting yourself in a position to succeed, right? Putting yourself in a position to manage risk responsibly because of uh, your various strategies that you've got. My, it doesn't matter whether we're in a bull market or in a bear market, we're gonna continue that same strategy with that strangle no matter what. We're just gonna, I mean, the the, the ETFs are gonna change depending on the market, of course, and the sure. volatility change depending on the market, but mm -hmm. the strategy is the same. We're gonna sell a strangle on, uh, every, right? So because I have that, it allows me to maybe be more aggressive over here and do that. Yeah. So like, if you can think about it as an investor to put yourself in the best position to succeed, um, I think, you know, like there's a, there's a book called uh, Atomic Habits. Yes, by James, by James Clear. Clear. Brilliant. I love yeah. that book. Yeah. Great book. And he talks about that. You know, like if you want to read more, then put books all over your house, put books on your nightstand, put books in your living room, put books in the bathroom. You want to read more, have books around you, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like you want to run more, put your running shoes by the door, make it easy yeah. for you to just slip right in and go for a run. Like put yeah. yourself in a position to succeed. And if your goal is to manage risk responsibly and make money in the market, and the only way to make money in the market is to manage risk responsibly, that's why I used that one first, yeah. put yourself in a position to succeed. Yeah, good, good. I love it. Okay, so something you also publish um, in your emails each day is the uh, list of insider buys, um, so those that have filed their Form 4s. And I always find that quite interesting to follow. You always only publish the buys. You never sell. You never publish sells. So obviously, there are directors and insiders at companies that do sell stock. Why yeah. do you focus only on the buys and not on the sells? Because there's a million reasons why a CEO might sell his own company stock. A million right. reasons. Just yeah. diversification, because the CEO yeah. of the company probably owns a ton, and you know he wants diversification. Exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Have a house. You know, have other things that that's good thing. That doesn't mean he's bearish the stock. His salary is based on that. You know, his uh, you know, uh, his whole life is dependent on this company. Like he doesn't need his entire net worth. Also, depending on the company, he's got enough. Pay for a daughter's wedding, college tuition, right? There's a, a zillion reasons why they could be selling. It doesn't mean he thinks the stock goes down. Yes, but but there's only one reason why he'd buy. Yes, because he it's thinks the price is going up. Down. He's backing his business. Think yeah. about it. The CEO or CFO or COO, whoever it is, any C-sweaty, you know, chairman, they already own a ton. Yeah. They work at the company. They already have a ton of exposure. So for them, and 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 we look specifically, not every form four. We want open market transactions because not like options being exercised or like planned purchases. We don't care about any of that. Okay. We want specifically open market transactions. That CEO called their broker just like you or I would and bought it in the open market like a normal investor. Right. That's the information we want because okay. that's, there's only one reason why he's doing that. Yeah. Or doing that. Only one and, reason. And and I mean, in addition, I guess they are the they are the people that know the business better than anybody else. So there's nobody in the world that knows more about that. This is inside information you're getting. We don't know <laughs> what he knows. But he knows something. Yeah. He knows it. And then the best is when you got like the CFO and the CEO and the chairman and some random VP, like all buying at the same time. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I know they those know, come they, up. That's a major deal. The stock is going higher. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I find that, that. That's the best part. They're yes. allowed to do that. They just yes. have to disclose it. 
It's up yeah. to us as investors to ignore that information or take advantage of it. I yeah. would prefer to do the latter, obviously. Yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. Well, I do watch that very closely. And you know, there's there's been some really interesting ones lately um, that you've that you've published. The director of uh, of Riley Financial has been big buyer yeah. of his stock. Um, there was another one yesterday. Trying to remember what it was now. Anyway, um, right. I, I want to yeah be, because we're kind of drawing towards the end of our allotted time we always try and keep these podcasts to about 40 to 45 minutes and we are getting towards that point um there's a couple of other things I mean I'm sure we could chat all day if we wanted to but there are other things I wanted to ask you something that you you did allude to now is books and you said you know reading and you talked about um James Clear and atomic atomic habits can you give us like two or three other of your best trading books that you've ever read um, I mean, for me, it all starts with technical analysis and it's it's less about the trading and more about the understanding what environment we're in and then decide what types of trading to do in that environment is, is really how I look at it. So, you know, starting with that, I think Edwards and McGee, technical analysis of stock trends. I yeah. mean, it's the Bible of technical analysis. I think you have to read it. If you take yeah. your portfolio seriously and you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, you know, I, I like thinking in bets by Annie Duke. Yes. Um, you know, just understanding, uh, you know, how to think and how to make decisions with uh, incomplete information, which is what we do every day. We yep. try to make the best decisions we can, knowing we don't have all the information. Yep. Uh, but nobody else does either. So that's the beauty yep. of it. Um, yep. And just, you know, anything that helps you understand the way you think, um, you know, getting back to putting yourself in a position to succeed, the more you understand your mind, and how we're hardwired as investors and animals, for that matter, uh, can be very advantageous as well. So, you know, books that have to do with behavioral finance, whether you go all the way to John Beck and, you know, dive into that stuff. Uh, it's pretty heavy duty. Uh, Kahneman and Traversky, um, you know, anything Daniel Kahneman thinking fast and slow, for example, um, or, um, uh, um, you know, sapiens and yes. just understanding, you know, sort of evolution and, and why we think the way we think, yeah. uh, you know, things like uh, Brett Steenbarger, anything that Brett Steenbarger has ever written, you want to read it. I mean, this mm -hmm. was Paul Tudor Jones's trading coach. So yep. he probably has some pretty good things to say. Yep. Any opportunity you get to listen to him, uh, you should do so. Um, you know, those are the things that really resonate to me is really the behavior because it starts there uh, technical analysis of stock trends to really get that understanding in terms of trading strategies. If you're more into short term, my friend Brian Shannon, uh, his first book, Technical Analysis of uh, Using Multiple Time Frames, for me, classic book. And regardless of your time horizon, um, you know, really, really good. And he just uh, wrote his second book, uh, which is about anchored VWAP um, and understanding yeah. how to how to use that. Highly encourage. You know, I have I've a copy. I haven't do, finished reading it, um, okay. but I encourage you to do so. Yeah, the I actually would like money, to. Yeah. The, the Psychology the, of, the money psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. That's brilliant. By Morgan Housel. Yeah. I'm halfway done with that. You know, that that also just kind of getting back to what I was talking about before, about James Clear, sort of understanding how markets work, understanding how humans work. The more you understand the, how vulnerable we are to make mistakes, the more you can avoid those mistakes and the better off you're going to be in the long run. So, you know, we talk about trading, we talk about this, but it all comes back to us. So yeah. I would focus on, on yourself as a, as a human, uh, if you want to understand yourself as an investor, and then you're going to be able to find, uh, you know, inefficiencies in the market because of the way investors are behaving incorrectly. 
you'll see massive short squeezes because investors yeah. are on the wrong side. And you'll understand why they were on the wrong side. You know, you'll understand why sell side analysts um, are great contrarian indicators or magazine covers. Yes. Uh, <laughs> why sentiment information is so powerful, right? You'll it's not just like oh, funny, haha. You know, there's real human because that's the thing about it. I've been incredibly fortunate to travel all over the world, give presentations, talk to traders, portfolio managers, 20 different countries, Europe, Asia, all over the place, and obviously all over North America. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm in Mumbai or in Tokyo, and I'm Cuban from Miami. The, the people that I'm with couldn't be more different than me. Um, the cultures could not be more different, um, yet we are exactly the same between the ears. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, not just globally, but thinking back, a hundred years, you see the markets, the same exact patterns, the peaks and the troughs, the bubbles, you know, the crashes, it's all the same thing, yeah. you know, because the markets evolved, the decimalization of the stock market, the evolution, you know, uh, you know, the NASDAQ options, um, cryptocurrencies, we call them different things. There are different characters, but it's, 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 mm. it's the same thing. It's, it's the, the same, same psychology thing. that same investor psychology is the same and it's always been the same, never changes. Yeah. All right. And it will change, but it takes, it takes tens of thousands of years for our brains to evolve and adapt. So you're good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're good. We won't be around when our brains are changing. <laughs> By then, maybe it'll be AI doing all the work for us. Who yeah, knows? Yeah, great. Who cares? I'm gone. <laughs> yeah, we're gone. Um, I like to also quickly get into a little bit of something outside of the trading and investment uh, world um, with with each of the guests. Something interesting, and I know you you said you own a winery or you own a stake in a winery. I don't know, but I've always yeah. found that interesting because I know you allude to some of that in some of the the media work that you do and your tweets and things. Just tell us a little bit about that, because um, you know, I, I, as I said to you before the well in in our email exchanges before this, I'm I'm from South Africa. And we've mm -hmm. got a wonderful wine industry down in the in the Western Cape in South oh, Africa. I'm aware. Uh, I don't know whether you've ever been there, but if Dying you haven't, you, you should go. It's it's great. It's great. There's some good wines. But tell us about your uh, your involvement in wine because you're also a registered or qualified sommelier, aren't you? I'm a certified sommelier. Yep. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So uh, you know you got to do the blind tasting, and you know they put the the wine, and you got to smell. You got to say like. Where the wine's from, what year, what grape, you know, how they make it. You got to say all those things without knowing. And the worst part is, because I did pass, uh, the worst <laughs> part is they don't even tell you afterwards if you were right or what they, what the wines were. Because it's two reds, two whites. And right. you've got to write out your notes, the acidity, the alcohol. You got to know it all without knowing. And they don't tell you afterwards, you know. <laughs> so, like, I remember, I forgot. What, I mean, this is years ago. I know one of them, I definitely guessed Riesling, but I'll never know if it was a Riesling or not. Like it could have been a Chablis, you know, I yeah. don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, if you ever get a chance, you should head down to South Africa and try some of the I know. I drink down there. Steen. Very good. I drink the Steen uh, from South Africa, okay. right? Um, yeah. I like, uh, you know what I can't get into, I would love to, is the, um, what is the cross between Pinot Noir and uh, is it Pinot Noir and Tanat or Pinot Noir? Uh, there's a, there's a, they do a, um, I'm not a, I'm not a wine expert, so I'm going to be probably short here, but it is not, not looking for a Malbec or no, a, no, no, no. a Malbec. They do nice there's, Malbec there's, there. Um, there's one that yeah. I don't, I can't like, it's a, it's a blend. It's a, it's actually, they make it in a lab, but it's very popular down there. And I just, 
I, the smell, I can't get over it. I really want to like it. What is the name of the wine? I can't even forget. Whatever. It doesn't okay. matter. doesn't uh, matter. I'm making Cabernet Sauvignon in Napa Valley. Okay. Um, in Calistoga. Uh, I'm on my third vintage now. Brilliant. So we've been making wine for several years. Uh, we have really, really good Cabernet Sauvignon. I'm gonna start What's it called? Sparkling wine. It's called Chateau Fibonacci. Oh, wow. Okay. Love it. Okay. <laughs> Pinotage. Pinotage, uh, is, Pinotage is, what you, is what you're looking for, right? Yeah. yeah and it's it's Pinot Noir and Cinso, not to not. Pinot Noir I, and Cinso, you know, blended together. Um, I can't get into it. It's just not for me. Okay. Okay. It's South African people, like some people like it. I want to like it. I just, I can't. I, I yeah. drink the Steen from down there. Um, you know, I, the, the Chenin Blanc. I, I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. All right. Last thing. Um, just back to markets, back to work, talking shop. Uh, tell us about All Star Charts because this is your opportunity to give the listeners a little bit of a plug for your business, what you do, how they can follow your work. Sure. So I'm the chief strategist at allstarcharts.com. So we provide technical analysis, research, and ideas, and a lot of the things that we talked about today um, for investors every single day. And these are uh, new investors trying to learn and, and start participating in markets and these are the largest uh, financial institutions in the world, including uh, very popular hedge funds that you're very familiar with. Yeah. And a lot of most major banks that you're familiar with are customers of ours and have been for many years. So it's really cool because I get to talk to uh, investors of all kinds, um, you know, with varying degrees of experience and assets under management um, and, and, ge and geographically. Right. We have customers in 100 different countries. Right. So it really gives me really, really interesting uh, perspective on the way investors think, uh, both generally speaking, uh, as well as in real time uh, for, for sentiment and things like that and understanding what people are watching and, and ignoring. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's um, it's been truly a blessing to to build a community over all these years and be able to make so many friends. I mean, that's the you know, the unintended consequences. Now I have all these friends everywhere I go. I go to Dublin. I go to London. I go to Mumbai. I go to Singapore, Hong Kong, wherever I go. Like there's all star charts friends like, hey, guys, we're going to be at this bar. 30 people show up and we're talking about charts and we're drinking and it's a blast. And, Brilliant. you know, or sometimes hundreds of people, like in the case of Mumbai, like we had like 250 people show up. It was crazy. Wow. Um, so, you know, that's got to be the, the coolest part is is being somewhere that i've never been before and yet um, i'm there sitting there talking to people who i feel like i've known for decades it really because in some cases i have yeah. like through mine and stuff you know <laughs> fantastic <laughs> all right awesome well jc it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you and an honor thank you very much it's been entertaining it's been informative uh awesome so thank you very much for your time happy to do it thanks for having me take care Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Talking With Traders, brought to you by IG, a world-leading CFD provider. We really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series. Please follow us on Facebook and engage with us there. And a reminder to make sure you subscribe to this series by clicking on the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd also appreciate if you'd leave a review on the app too. Till next time.